Hi, Gary Wilson here and with the Gary Wilson podcast. We're joined today by a great friend, somebody I've known since I was a little guy, uh, Dallas Holm. Uh, many of you are familiar with Dallas Holm and Praise. You've heard um, some amazing songs from him. Uh, still, uh, still writing and singing. Uh, so I asked you, we were just having a conversation, not on camera here, but last week I said, is there anything on your heart? I'd been studying the attributes of God. And I said, is there anything in there in the Trinity? And you immediately just like without, presentation said oh i'd love to talk about the holy spirit um why is that what what what's so stirring in your heart about the holy spirit that it makes it sort of the forefront of what you'd like to have a conversation about well i think it's probably twofold uh, much like your dad and i think really because of your dad and the association with his ministry because he always had a great appeal across denominations when we had those crusades even in the early days of teen challenge when uh, a few years ago, we reread The Cross and Switchblade, and I had kind of forgotten that a lot of his earliest supporters, you know, a lot of people thought, oh, Dave Wilkerson, he's the Assemblies God, he's a Pentecostal. A lot of those early supporters were Mennonites and all kinds of, you know, Reformed. And yeah. so I always had that broad appeal. Well, in my years of travel, especially since I've been on my own, we literally have ministered in everything from Catholic to Quaker and everything in between. I mean, just nearly every denomination you can think of. And I don't care what the sign on the front yard says, if they want me to come and minister and they understand that I'm going to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ, I don't care what the sign on the front yard says. So I've been in all these places, but it forces you, number one, to be kind of a, become sort of a student of doctrinal distinctives. You know, you, you start to learn, okay, the Baptists, here's their, here's their uh, pressure point, uh, Pentecostals, here's their pressure point. Everybody's got their own kind of biblical or spiritual personality. So you kind of learn that. But what I learned, I think the, the person uh, of the Godhead that probably gets more misrepresentation and misunderstood, either emphasized in ways that are out of line with scripture or not emphasized at all out of a fear that, well, we don't become afraid of the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah, especially last year and most of my writing, in fact, all of my writing, I, I come out every other month with a newsletter and it was all about the Holy Spirit, trying to walk people through, not, not with an intent to present, okay, here's the proper doctrinal stance. Let's just have a biblical discussion because, you know, I, I was saved in a, in a Pentecostal church. It was Assembly God Church. I didn't realize till many years later how non-typical that church was. Our pastor was actually a graduate of Wheaton. He had his doctorate in theology from Wheaton, very reformed, but with a firm belief that the Holy Spirit still worked today as he did in the New Testament church, that all the gifts and all that was still, you know, available. Well, then as I started to move around in other realms, I realized, wow, that was really a rare uh, church setting for a Pentecostal denomination. Then as I started to travel in more reformed circles, and found a general, uh, yeah, we don't, yeah, they didn't say it, but it was kind of like, yeah, we don't want to go too deep in the Holy Spirit because they didn't want to be identified in any way with that crazy charismatic or Pentecostal bunch. So it really caused me to become a, a student and really study scripture and read books. Okay, what are the doctrinal positions on this? In early Pentecostalism, and, I, and by early Pentecostalism, I'd go back to the Azusa Street Revival in the early 1900s, where most of the churches, like Assembly God, Church God, uh, Pentecostal Holiness, Nazarene also, Nazarene didn't continue in a Pentecostal way, but the Holiness Movement. Um, there was generally a belief early on that if, that you could be a Christian, but actually not have the Holy Spirit. You could be in a Pentecostal 
service or environment and they might they might give an invitation as we say how many of you need to be saved or you want to commit your life to the lord okay you know raise your hand whatever now how many of you need to receive the holy spirit and i can remember even in the 60s sitting in meetings where that's how it was articulated how many of you have not yet received the holy spirit i didn't know enough to know yeah it's like well, i guess i need to do something you know and i can remember sitting in chairs and having people push and pull on me and because typically the pen the Generally, the Pentecostal doctrinal distinctive was when you receive the Holy Spirit, then there will be an evidence, a physical evidence of speaking in tongues. Well, that doctrinal position that you can be a Christian, not have the Holy Spirit, I guess too many people began reading their Bibles. That was a hard one to defend. So then it morphed a little bit into, well, you can have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit, but you don't have all of the Holy Spirit. That became problematic because if the Holy Spirit, which scripturally sure, the scripture certainly points out, he is the third member of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. God is the Spirit, the Spirit is God, if you want to say that, you know, and Jesus is God. We know that Father is God, but so is the Holy Spirit. He is never represented in all of scripture as anything partial or other than the person of the Holy Spirit. All the way back to creation, the Spirit, you know, brooding over the waters, uh, uh, he, he's always regarded and understood as the person of the Holy Spirit. So that became problematic to say, well, you have some measure of the Spirit, but you don't have all the Holy Spirit. Well, when you study Scripture, you know, obviously, uh, Romans 8, 9 just you know, nails it right on the head. If you have not the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to God, period. <laughs> so that became really problematic to defend then if you had a distinctive that said you could be a Christian and then later on as kind of an add-on have the Holy Spirit or some aspect of the Holy Spirit. So I've tried to kind of wade through this carefully, knowing that you're going to get shot from all sides. But first of all, to encourage people that when you surrender to Christ, when you trust in him by faith, when you get saved, whatever terminology you want to use, uh, you receive the Holy Spirit. I I often ask this question to to an audience that I'm teaching on this, where is Jesus? And it's interesting, some a lot of times I go in my heart, you know, or I've even had some point, you know, not to the ceiling, but upward. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, okay, the scripture teaches us very clearly in several instances that when he ascended, I mean, literally geographically, where is Jesus? He's at the right hand of the father right now interceding on our behalf. Now to say I asked Jesus into my heart is not wrong but it is the spirit of Christ. It is, you know, he said, and these are significant words. He said, it is better, or some translations say, it is to your advantage that I go away. But if I go away, I'll send another. So he makes the distinction there that's another person for any of those. We won't even waste our time talking to the non-Trinitarian Jesus only. Uh, there is no Holy Spirit, whatever. I mean, it's, you know, I always say you can't reason with unreasonable people. It's it's doctrinally unsupportable. So it was his Holy Spirit that wooed us, that convicted us, that indwelt us, that transformed us. All that, all that happened in that transactional uh, event we call salvation was, was the Holy Spirit. So we have the Holy Spirit within us. And I, and I just think that's like step one. Christians need to know, be confident in the fact that when you surrendered your life to Christ, when you invited him in, you received in fullness his Holy Spirit. Now, some people go, well, there, I got it, that's it, end of story. No, because then then you have to go, okay, what 
what does that mean? What does the Holy What about the gifts of the Holy Spirit? I mean, let's look at that for just a moment. We're kind of jumping ahead, but uh, the a lot of the Reformed people, not all, but a lot of them who who we call cessationists, believing that certain aspects of the Holy Spirit, usually what we call the manifestation or miraculous giftings of uh, tongues and prophecy and healing miracles, so forth. They believe, and, and they're split, they're a divided camp. Some of them believe that some of those gifts no longer function. Some of them believe that all of those gifts no longer function. And they pretty much lean almost exclusively. I've only come across two reasons that they make the decision that those gifts don't work. One is in uh, uh, Romans 13, where it says, uh, now we see uh, in part the... Uh, whether prophecy, whether tongues are imperfect, but when we, uh, when the perfect comes, they interpret that the perfect as scripture or more precisely the completion of the, of the canon of scripture. They say that what's that saying is the perfect has come. Scripture has been completed. The canon of scripture is, is full. And so therefore, according to that, if you interpret the perfect to mean the completion of scripture, then that's happened. So now these gifts are no longer necessary. Problem with that is it goes on then to say that when that happens, when the perfect comes, then we shall see him as he is and be known uh, and know as we are known. So then you have to go, okay, do we see him as he is now? Or do we now know as we are known? Has that event happened? Well, no. Well, of course not. It, that's still in the future, that, that time. So nowhere in scripture that I'm aware of is the term the perfect ever used to say scripture, manuscripts, text, it, it just falls apart. So the only second opinion on this that I've ever run across, and I, and I know some people that believe this, and I, and I, don't, I don't say it in a condescending way, I just I don't agree with it. They'll say, well, no, we don't. We believe that the perfect there means the perfect one, or when Christ returns, when the culmination of all things, then we will see him as he is. And that, that makes biblical sense to me. But they say, but in church history, when you follow it in the early centuries of the church, you don't see these things uh, happening the same way. What I find interesting about that is most of the people that are cessationists and though, most of those in the reform camp are really, really big on the word. In other words, they will say things like, we preach the word, we teach the word, we sing the word, we pray the word, the word, the word, the word. Now, there's no way you can overemphasize the importance of the word. But I find it interesting that when it comes to something as important as the giftings of the Holy Spirit, whether they're still relevant or not, suddenly you depart from the word and you go to the subjective experience of history. And that's what history is. I don't care how well it's documented. It's still documented by people who had an opinion about what happened, what they think they saw, what they think they heard. So it's the subjective experience of history that suddenly steps to the forefront in their mind, and they conclude, well, based on what they're telling, what they told us back there, and what seems to be a pattern, the Holy Spirit doesn't do that anymore. I just think that falls apart terribly. Mm -hmm. So those are the two. I would say ninety-eight percent of all the opinions on why the Holy Spirit doesn't function as He did would either rest in that Romans 13, the perfect has come, that being scripture, so it's all done, or history doesn't seem to follow through the way it did in the New Testament, so I'm going to side with history. I just think it all falls apart there and becomes very problematic. So my conclusion is, uh, yes, all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, it falls in line with, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He changes not. I, I see nothing in scripture that would even hint at the fact that 
any of these gifts or all of them quit working last Thursday at three o'clock or any other time. It, yeah. it just doesn't, it doesn't say that in any, any sense of uh, healthy biblical context, both context has to do with how a verse is framed in scripture, but equal to that is the context of how would the original readers have understood this as they read it. And I just don't see that they would have any way come to the same conclusions that we've come to in some of our seminaries, largely to just find a way around dealing with the Holy Spirit. And I think a lot of that's motivated by fear, especially since the charismatic renewal. Are there charismaniacs? Absolutely there are. There are people that I wouldn't go anywhere near. They're, they're <laughs> representation or misrepresentation of the Holy Spirit and things related to uh, is just embarrassing, biblically totally askew. But, you know, the old don't throw the baby out with the bathwater applies here. Don't, don't just, don't then just turn your back on the Holy Spirit and say, oh, I don't want anything to do with it because I don't want to be like those crazy people. Again, go to the word, read the word. What does the word say? And so that, you know, that in a kind of a, a long, in a big nutshell is sort of where I'm at encouraging people. You have the Holy Spirit. You have all of the Holy Spirit. He still functions today. Uh, in Ephesians, where it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, that is not referencing uh, uh, you need to receive the Holy Spirit because you don't have him. The, the actual Greek, uh, Wayne Grudem says it, uh, he says, really, the best rendering in English would be, be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. That would be true Greek emphasis on that line. In other words, you have the Holy Spirit. When Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, he's assuming they have the Holy Spirit. That's a foredrawn conclusion. If they're Christians, they have the Spirit. What he's encouraging them, make sure that you don't become stagnant or think, well, that's it. Be continually, every day, every moment. This is supposed to be a flow through us of spiritual power. And there's the key word, you know, the day of Pentecost. You know, it, it didn't say after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you'll speak in tongues. You might. That's a gift. But you'll receive power, power to witness, power to be that uh, witness and that testifier of the truth of the gospel. That's the real essence. And I, I think the, the power to witness has got shoved to the back sometimes for manifestations. And, and that's unfortunate. Right. Wow. Dallas, that's, that's very rich. I really appreciate what you're saying because it, uh, it encapsulates um, a lot of what we need to hear today you know, from who the Holy Spirit is. Do we, do we need to have a special second work of grace, so to speak? To, to receive him or to have to speak in tongues. And, and then, then you're talking about cessationism as well as, as compared to continuation. Most people that believe in the gifts are called continuationists. They believe it still exists. I think in my, in my studies and my, in my listening to some other voices, I, I seem to come across people that kind of build a straw man case. Like, uh, oh, if this is what being spirit filled is, or if this is what the gifts are, then that's certain. You know, I think they make the mistake of saying, well, that's ceased. Well, in reality, that should have never happened in the first place, let alone ceased. You know, like the the, the crazy charismatic stuff you say. So so they're kind of, you know, the, the John MacArthur type thing, uh, Charismatic Chaos, is a book that sort of paints everybody in that chaotic point of yep. view. And therefore, he says, OK, this is what it is. See, so that's you shouldn't have to deal with, you know, this this, this is not biblical. This is this. If it ever was, it's done away with now. And, right. But the reality in God's idea of things, it never was meant to be. And so the, the you know, what, what is, from what they're saying, what most, most time when I hear them say what, what it is they want to believe has ceased, I would probably agree with them. Like a lot of the, cause a lot of it's yeah. pretty, pretty chaotic. And so, 
But then when they say, you know, what really has ceased, it, it doesn't make any sense. But uh, you know, I think even more importantly is just the fact that, you know, we, as a Christian, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. There's no doubt about that. You know, and you can't, uh, you know, if you study the Trinity, you know, I guess I, I think I wrongly grew up thinking, I would never say this, but I, that, that there, I, I kind of, in, um, in, in lifestyle, I probably would have said there's three gods. You know, there's, there's, there's the God, the, the Father God, he's up there and he's kind of like that. And here's what he does and here's how he acts. And then there's God, the Jesus God, and he's another God. And, he, and then there's the Holy Spirit God. And he comes along a little bit later and mops things up. And, but I, you know, and so you know, you'd hear sermons. This is like the Father's like this, or we need the Holy Spirit to come. And, you know, uh, and, I, and, and certainly, you know, we see three persons. But I think the weakness in much of the church today is doctrinally is when it comes to the Holy Spirit is that it's a separate entity yeah. than the Father. And, you know, everybody, you know, scripture is clear and all throughout church history, it's clear that, you know, the, th the three are one, they're of one essence. They're one. Yeah. So when you have the, when you say scriptures, like, you know, like the, um, what was the scripture you just mentioned about like pursuing the Holy Spirit? I can't remember the exact phrase you were using about like a, oh, continuously being filled. Oh yeah. Continuously being filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, if, if God is one, then you're actually, saying there well the holy spirit might do that work of filling but you're actually being filled with the father right over the son as well so you're not you're not getting a you know i'm going to go to the holy spirit god over here and get some more of him because right now my scale is tipping towards having more of god father than i do uh, jesus father and you know some churches build their whole they build their whole um philosophy of ministry and theology and teaching ministry around one element yeah. of the trinity uh, well, and I, I think we see that, just what you're saying, I don't know that we see it so much consciously, but I think it's very much ingrained in so much of the church. And it's one of the things that challenged me to study this more and write on it, because the Father is referenced often, often, often in almost any denomination, Catholic on down, many references to the Father. Jesus, we love, we're all over Jesus. I mean, we just can't say it enough. He's our friend. And, but the Holy Spirit is just because of, you know, many reasons, lack of understanding, misrepresentation, all that, uh, you know, A.W. Tozer said, you know, we, we speak of him briefly in our creeds and our doxologies, but other than that, he might as well not exist. And he says, the word without the spirit is dead and dry. The spirit without the word is incomplete. So I love that because you, you can't, you can't have, you know, you can't have uh, the Father is, well, he's number one and Jesus number two and Holy Spirit is number three. It's hard for us to understand because there's nothing in our physical world, there's nothing in our mental capacities that understands three persons, uh, three offices, one God, but, but that's how it is. You know, it, it's, you know, when we say the Holy Spirit, that's not something other than Christ, that is the Spirit of Christ, it's his Spirit. Uh, we see it in scripture, you know, Jesus said, I only do what I see the father doing. I mean, he sent that is a sense of relationship accountability too. he sent the spirit, which there again, those who deny in a, a triune God is just mind boggling how you can conclude that. Uh, and, and I wouldn't also, I wouldn't want to give the impression to anybody that, okay, uh, you receive the Holy Spirit when you're saved. There's no question about that biblically in my mind. Don't think there should be anybody's. 
there's an emphasis to continually be filled with that spirit. Just, just make sure that you're, he's flowing through you on a daily basis. And then we might conclude, well, okay, well, that's it then. Well, it's not it. What about these giftings? What about these empowerings? Uh, these things, I, I love, there's a book called Joy Unspeakable by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who they often refer to as the doctor. I mean, reformed theologians, he's their hero. And whenever I find that out, I, I always love to give my reformed friends his book because he just, he believes that the, bat, you know, it gets into interpretation. For example, Dr. Wayne Grudem, who I uh, greatly respect, probably one of the greater contemporary uh, scholars in his systematic theology, but he believes that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what occurs when we're saved, you know, by one spirit or in one spirit. The Greek there, it's an argument, is it in or by? But that's the front end for him. That What happens at salvation will be best referred to as the baptized. Then filling with the Spirit is subsequent to that as we continue to grow sanctification. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones is just the opposite. He believes, biblically, that when we give our lives to Jesus, we are filled with the Spirit completely. But then the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a completely other thing. He doesn't follow along with a traditional Pentecostal view that it's a second work that must be accompanied by a manifestation of speaking in tongues or any other gift. But he does believe, and not only biblically, I found it really interesting. He quoted uh, men like uh, Bunyan, uh, Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, the Wesleys, Moody, Spurgeon, Calvin. The list was long all of whom in the course of their writings and their lives and their ministries claim to have had an experience, which they often referred to as uh, heaven came to earth, joy unspeakable. Some of them were just completely, it's like I lost myself. Moody, I think it was, was in New York. He was very despondent. He was discouraged. And he had this occasion where the spirit of the Lord just came upon him. Doesn't say anything about speaking in tongues or any manifestations, but they all testify of this, some just once in their whole lifetime. Some had two, even three encounters they could write about where the Holy Spirit seemed to just completely overtake, manifest himself, took them to a new spiritual level, if you can call it that. Uh, now, we can, either, we can either conclude that, well, all of them were misguided, all of them uh, wrongly interpreted. I would tend to think as I read the body of their work, and I certainly haven't read all, <laughs> everything they've ever written, but these are heroes of the faith. These are deep thinkers. These are men who have fashioned our uh, doctrinal beliefs. They all testify to having this powerful, uh, almost otherworldly spiritual experience in the Holy Spirit. Uh, so shame on us lest we ever think, uh, okay, this is the Holy Spirit there. He's done. Sit back and ride. No, there's so much. It's the Spirit of God, for heaven's sake. It's, it's eternal. It's inexhaustible. I don't want to find out how much of the Holy Spirit, you know, where the parentheses are, uh, what's the capacity of the whole, okay, there. I want to know how vast is it? How far, I just knocked my water over, how, uh, how far can I go in this? Not just experiential, but, but deeply related to God by his spirit. Where does his Holy Spirit want? You know, we, we talk about this casually. And I think we talked about the other day, you know, initially God in the ark, I don't say it blasphemously, but it's like God in a box. I mean, it's so, it's so crazy that the presence of God is in this thing. Then a tabernacle, then a temple. Now, the only true eternal living God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the king of the universe, 
chooses to dwell within us by his own Holy Spirit. I can't think of anything in biblical history that is more astonishing than that. That is just monumental. And so intellectually, we understand that. But then how we respond to it is often in these kind of shallow, restrictive, well, I don't think he's about that. I don't think he does that. Let's just kind of keep our distance from the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about these other things. It's, man, I want to go as deep and as far as I can in the Holy Spirit. I mean, scratch the surface, and I doubt if anybody has. No, no, that's, that's, that's so, so, such a blessing to hear you say that because that creates a hunger in us. You know, we want, we want to, we want what you would, you know, I want what you want too. I want the same thing, you know. Kind of like when you're in a restaurant, you see you've ordered some something, and it's kind of like I ah, I misordered. Then you see somebody next to you has the filet mignon. Or something. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll have what he's having, you know. I'll have, uh, he's having, and I, you know, I think when you hear people talk as richly as you're doing about the Holy Spirit, it it does make you want. And I think even somebody that's been in denial, you know, of uh, more of a, like you said earlier about the Father and the Son, but not really welcoming the Holy Spirit to, you know, for whatever reason. Uh, you know, when they hear you talk like that, I think it it should draw them to that. I had a friend in Texas, pastor, one of the larger churches in Texas, a Baptist church, and we had a good conversation one day. And he kind of had that experience that you're talking about with Spurgeon. You know, just yeah. asked me, he goes, do you think I got baptized in the Holy Spirit then? He goes, I said, what, what do you mean? He goes, well, I just was in my room. I was reading my Bible, and I fell on my face. I was weeping, and I, I started praying, but I couldn't have words. I just started groaning, like, oh, God, yeah. you know, like, I said, sounds like it to me. I don't, you know, I can't be the judge of it, but, uh, you know, so I think that experience you're talking about is really. Well, and, and you're not the judge of it. Scripture's the judge of that. Right. Groanings that we can't utter. I mean, that's, does it have biblical precedent? Absolutely it does. Yeah. So why would we ever discount that? I mean, this is probably a bad kind of saying or analogy in a way, but because I don't think you can have too much of the Holy Spirit, but if, if I had the choice, do you want, too much of the Holy Spirit or not enough? Yeah. Why would anybody choose not enough? Why would anybody choose? Nah, I don't want, I don't want too much. I want as much as I can have. Uh, I'd rather have too much than not enough. Yeah. Well, I think people get afraid of the the word too much. Your mind goes towards, you know, people like barking and screaming and mouth and rolling around and believing all kinds of false teaching, but that's not, that's not, that has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. If, If you have, if you have more than or you know too much, part of what part of his job is to reveal, you know, the sun or awakening, right. illuminating the scriptures to us. And so right. you're going to you're going to have, you know, if you want just if you if you limit yourself, say I want more of God and I want more of the or the Father God, the Son God, but not anymore the Holy Spirit God. You're limiting yourself because it's the Spirit God that. Uh, awakens the other ones in us. And just a comment too on, you know, you're saying earlier about, you know, what, what is it that has people like uh, stay in the father and the son and sort of exclude the Holy spirit to me. One of the things I was thinking about recently was, you know, like the enemies, they talk about drawing a line in the sand. Uh, Okay. This is, this, we're going to pitch our final uh, defense right here. To me, I think the enemy does that because if if he can stop the Holy Spirit from illuminating, from indwelling, from um, making alive the th- the truth of, the, of you know Jesus said he'll 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 make everything known about me. If if the Holy Spirit could excuse me, if the Satan could stop that, yeah, that's his line of Sam because that stops the the spirit the spirit of being lacking in presence um, or awareness of that would kind of eliminate a knowledge of the Son. 
and knowledge of the Father as well. Yeah. Because, oh, he's our, you know, just the biblical titles, and there are more, but he's teacher, comforter, helper, empowerer, illuminator. Mm -hmm. I mean, you find scriptures. I mean, he, he is he is the, in a sense, the full equipper of everything we need right now in our Christian walk. And you're mm -hmm. absolutely right. So if that's true, where would the enemy uh you know, take up the fight. Where Where is he going to attack? Well, right there. Man, if I can shut that down, I can shut a whole lot down. Yeah. And, you know, that was probably a bad analogy. I know you understood why I said too much of the Holy Spirit. It's just that it's people need to start thinking in terms of, or some people do, it's eternal. It's limitless. It's inexhaustible. We yeah. should never think of the Holy Spirit in any doctrinal sense that there he is. That's that's the front. That's the end. This Here's the package. Here's all he does. It's it's as, as eternal as God is. So I, I want to go as deep as I go. I want to learn as much as I can learn. I want to experience, not for experience sake, but I want to experience everything he, God has for me. Yeah. And, and there again, I think that's where the enemy, because there's, there's so much false teaching. There's so much bad representation of, th man, the things the Holy Spirit has been blamed for. I just see God on his throne going, oh, man, I never <laughs> thought of that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, which, which is why we have to stay in the word, you know, don't depart from scripture. Don't, don't make the Holy spirit say things or do things that scripture, you know, and, and most of these, most of these fringe groups, they always pass it off. They'll go to one verse, uh, one concept in scripture. Well, in the last days, he's going to do a new thing. Mm -hmm. That's it. <laughs> well, that could be defined as absolutely anything, which, which in the context of that verse, isn't what that's pointing toward anyway. So mm -hmm. That's, that's right. So as you travel and you're, you're preaching, teaching, singing, and you're in some churches that are um, more open to the tripart uh, divinity of God, that God is the Holy Spirit and he's alive and well, and then you go to churches where they're hesitant of that, do you notice anything? Does their theology affect their uh, passion, their uh, their holiness, their uh, intimacy with God, their worship of God? I think it does, or it certainly can. The interesting thing is that it happens in a backward way as well. In other words, in some, I'll say Pentecostal type settings, where we would, we would agree that, okay, they have more freedom in the Holy Spirit. They have teaching. They have a, a perspective that the Holy Spirit is still working on this. But they almost get caught up sometimes in if I make more noise, that's more spiritual. Mm -hmm. If I shout more, that's the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit, again, gets blamed for things. It really is a cultural thing. They've grown up. I mean, one thing that always drives me nuts, maybe it's just me, but a lot of times when I was in a Pentecostal church or situation, we used to work with you know churches cooperating together, but it was more of a Pentecostal group. Okay, let's have prayer for the meeting. Let's pray for Dallas before we go out. You got 12 guys standing around, and all of a sudden, they're all top volume. They're all praying different things. I don't have a clue what any of them are saying. Now, I know the Lord does. I understand that. Yeah. I guess I'm just a little more. There needs to be some, some reason in this. We need to. But, but a lot of that's a cultural thing. It's just if we make more noise, if we, all, if we do what we do out loud, that's the Holy Spirit. If we're quiet, it's not the Holy Spirit. That's just not true. Uh, Linda and I were in a Presbyterian church years ago one of the God, most godly men, the pastor, but it was quiet. It was reverent. It was, it was deep. It was holy. 
no messages in tongues, no raising of hands, no uh, running around, you know, the aisles or anything like that. Now, some would say, oh, boy, that was a dead church because there wasn't clapping hands or volume. It's never about that. You can just as wrongly define, oh, that was the Holy Spirit, because, you know, we even say things like, uh, I was, and I've probably said it too, I don't know, be in a service and I'll say, ooh, the Holy Spirit showed up. I always kind of go, where was he prior to that? Was he somewhere else? Was he, you know, God came down. I know what we mean. Sometimes the spirit moves in a sovereign, unique way, but God's not hovering up there somewhere. And then at some point, if we sing loud enough or do the right things, eh, I'm going to go down there and do something. It, it, it lacks biblical sense, yeah. some of these ideas we come up with. So, yeah, yes, I can tell there are some churches where I feel like People want to express more than they're allowed to because their doctrinal distinctives prohibit them from free expression. I don't think God cares if we raise a hand or put it in our pocket. It's a heart issue. But again, it is biblical. And I've challenged some churches because I sing a song called Here We Are in Your Presence, Lifting Holy Hands to You. A lot of times if I'm in a Baptist church, they're not generally as prone to raise their hands. And sometimes I've even stopped and said, look, Baptists are historically some of the most wonderful custodians of of biblical truth, great preachers, great teachers. I find it odd that something that is so biblically supported as raising your hands is not practically experienced in your midst. Uh, You know, they always kind of, well, we're just not like, and almost every time, if I can talk with a pastor, talk with someone, what it really comes down to is, well, they don't want to be identified with, or they don't want to be like those you know, that they perceive to be uh, the fringe group, charismatics, or Pentecostals. But then, you know, tragically, some of the Pentecostals who've been the uh, wonderful custodians of spiritual gifts and, and freedom of worship, I'll tell you some of the deadest churches I've ever been to. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, it, it's almost like there's a, I don't know what it is. It's almost like we were viewed so long as those folks on the other side of the tracks those crazy Pentecostals, now we're going to show them that we're just as smart, we're just as prosperous, we're just as uh, whatever. And so they've kind of gone clear to the other side of the ship, as we say, and are almost determined not to do any of that stuff, lest lest they be embarrassed. I, I don't know, It's a, you know better than I do in the church world. I mean, the church is a different animal now than it used to be. <laughs> Sometimes that's good, but a lot of it, we've been so influenced by cultural pressures and political correctness, and the list goes on and on that I don't care what the denomination is. I don't care if they make noise or don't make noise. And I don't think God does a whole lot. I think it's a heart issue. Are you seeking me with your whole heart? Are you studying the word? What you believe, what you profess, is it based on the truth of the word or just your own experience? And that always gets you in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It um, seems to me that the not in a healthy way, but the lines have been blurred. So now you can kind of, you sort of don't know if you're walking into a Pentecostal charismatic church or a Baptist church. It's, yeah. it's, uh, there'll be a few people raise hands. The, cor- the, the courses all be somewhat similar. Uh, the teaching is non-confrontational on any issue. So you're really not, you know, you're not talking about any doctrinal issue other than sort of, you know, something to help me cope um, right. you know, better along with life. And that's, you know, seems to be large denominations, whether they're, you know, Baptist or sons of God, or whatever they—it's they, they, not unity. Like they've, you know, you would wish they'd come together in unity and be one church. Right. 
it's just this uh, cutting off the sharp edges of our distinctivenesses and sort of getting into this. Uh, I think it started with the seeker sensitive movement in the 70s, uh, making sure that we are putting together a, a marketable uh, event that people could um, be palatable to their to their wants and their, to their needs. And, you know, and, I, and I know Jesus is certainly, you know, you talked about that earlier, how uh, in the Danites, that was good. And you're talking about the Danites, they helped those who were hurting and yeah. you know, weak. And, uh, you know, certainly there isn't in the church a place for ministering to the weak, but it, it ultimately comes to me. You know, when I read the Gospels, I see Jesus always starting with this miracle uh, and then him going right into doctrine, like, okay, now that I've got your attention, right. Uh, yeah, the father and I are one. Did you? I don't know if you knew that or not. And then all of a sudden, everybody was like up and right. around. You know, he was after something else. It wasn't just after meeting needs. And, yeah. and I think the church in America, particularly, has become a, a sort of a, a, a you know, therapeutic uh, need meeting place. And that's not exactly the place you're going to get sound doctrine nor the Holy Spirit. So you're sort of missing right. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Really, when when you're getting there, you're just getting more humanistic. I think. And, I'm not here to badmouth the church or anything like that, but it's just, it concerns me because um, yeah. you mentioned like, you know, I do get to, I get to you know, visit some churches like you do. And, um, you know, thankfully you see these lighthouses of purity and passion and the power of God and the presence of God, whatever they, like I said, with sign is out front, but, but, you know, you know, the Holy Spirit's in there. And it surprises me sometimes that people that even they don't kind of like my Baptist friend in Texas, you know, he doesn't even know he has the Holy Spirit to the degree that you or I have. Right. But he does. He right. Just, you know, he just doesn't. He just feels like he doesn't because he doesn't have it in the charismatic way. Right. But, but God would tell him and many Presbyterians and Lutherans and Methodists, people like, yeah, you've got as much of the Holy Spirit as, you know, I was, you know we talked about my dad a little bit today. And, you know, you, I'm sure you heard him say that sort of like, you know, the, you know he, he, he despised the saying the full gospel church as if right. you were in some other denomination, you don't have the full gospel. We have the full gospel. Well, maybe you have the portion that understands the Holy Spirit more, but you may not be as keen in, in devotion to the word or prayer. Right. And so full gospel is, is that which it's that what you were talking about earlier, that deep hunger for, can I have more, you know, too much of the Holy Spirit, too much of Jesus, too much of the father. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll go for all he has. I think that's where, where we land with it. Well, what, in one of the, you know, terms that I've heard often through the years, and now I've gotten in my old age, I'm just a grumpy old man, I guess. <laughs> I just don't let it pass. In fact, just a couple of days ago, a dear friend of mine, he was talking about someone said, uh, and he's a spirit-filled Christian. And I said, and I stopped him. I said, can you be a non-spirit-filled Christian? Well, I know what I am <laughs> with him about this. But this terminology suggests, uh, and again, Dr. Grudem, uh, in, he, he covers this so well, uh, you can only create a first and a second class order of Christians if you have the non-spirit-filled Christians and the spirit-filled Christians. But we've had that for a long time. We've just supposed that, well, they're Christians, and then we kind of concede, uh, some do that, well, yeah, they have the Holy Spirit, but they don't have all the Holy Spirit, or they don't have the Holy Spirit like they should have it, or like we know, but we're spirit-filled. Boy, it's just so, it's such an unbiblical term. There is no such thing. That's an oxymoronical term you there's no such thing as a non-spirit-filled Christian. When you receive Christ, you receive his spirit. By one spirit, we were all baptized in the body of Christ. 
Now, is there more? As we've already said, yes, there's more. There's always more of God. He's, he's limitless. He's inexhaustible. He's eternal. But, uh, you know, some of these words we come up with, these terminologies, they're just damaging. And they create ideas in our minds. You know, I, I had a friend at a church, and, uh, well, I won't say where, but he, he was talking about uh, that church down the road. He said, no, that pastor's a good brother, but no, they're not a spirit-filled church. Uh, I heard that. I asked him, I said, well, what are they? How can they possibly survive if they don't have the Holy Spirit? Well, they, I mean, they have the Holy Spirit, but they're not spirit-filled. And we just kind of examined that terminology. So in his mind, they're down the ladder a few rungs. They're, they're not, you know, the Spirit is there. He, they may not regard the Spirit. They may not function in the Spirit because they don't share the same kind of doctrinal distinctives. But I think that's all kind of a, at least a lot of it's kind of a moot point. Yeah. Uh, titles, these things we say, we don't think them through biblically, and they cause division, and the enemy claps his hands, go, yes. Yeah. Yeah, right. well, I like that. I like that you're saying that, because that, I like that you're stepping up and saying things now, you know, and I don't think that's grumpiness. I think that's just want, wanting to you know, let truth uh, shout it from the housetops, what's true, yeah. One of my shining moments recently, you'll appreciate this, Gary, because you know I'm a nice guy. <laughs> I'm pretty laid back. I don't easily ruffle, but we're in our church. I go to Baptist church. Our pastor is very reformed. He's probably the finest Bible teacher I've ever sat under. He is not uh, anti-Pentecostal or anything like that. He just, he comes more from that reform side of thing. I just absolutely love him. But we had the president of a seminary come, very reformed seminary. Well, that he had him come and preach one Sunday morning. And he took it upon himself to liken Pentecostals to humanists, to uh, something else, humanism, uh, something else, Pentecostalism. And he just had a case. He just had a case against Pentecostals. And mm -hmm. it was, I started to lean forward in my chair and Linda kind of, <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about just getting up and leaving. Then I thought, no, I'm going to hear him out. And I knew who he was. I had met him earlier. We had, we had met uh, a couple times, you know, in the past. And mm -hmm. I was trying to kind of avoid him, and I really was praying. I said, Lord, if you want me to say something, I will, but I don't want it to just be my, you know, reaction. So the church is pretty well cleared out. I have to go up and talk to the worship leader, because I think I was playing on the worship team the next week, and I just want to talk to him. And, well, here comes here comes Dr. So-and-so, and just to extend his hand, and, and I said, uh, Doctor, I'm disappointed. I'm hurt, somewhat angered. And I said, to liken Pentecostalism to humanism uh, and, and the the text he was preaching um, from was about the beware of the unleavened so he was saying the pentecostals the humanists and i wish i could remember i don't know if it was denominationalism or something was likened unto the leaven and i said excuse me but you didn't even have handle the text properly that's not the context of that text at all i said you just got a bone to pick with pentecostals and i said in so doing you've disrespected my father my mother family members, friends. I said, you've disrespected people right now who are locked up and being tortured for their faith. Pentecostals, among the persecuted Church of Christ, and you liken them to humanists. I said, I'm very, very disappointed. I said, I don't hate you. I said, as far as I'm concerned, we're still friends, but uh, you need to go home and think this through again. <laughs> I just turned around. Then I went to my pastor as accountability. I said, I don't know. I maybe just caused some trouble. And I told him what I said. And my pastor said, good. And I said, well, 
I'm not, I don't need your approval necessarily. I mean, I just wanted you to know, should he come to you and say, well, Dallas said this. I said, here's exactly what I said. He said, no, I was going to have a talk with him. He said, I don't know what he was doing. He said, he didn't even handle, handle the text very well. <laughs> oh, you know, time is too short. This is too important to put up with errant, twisted, perverted theology in people with their little pet cases. You know, we got one side out there that's just bound and determined to throw rocks at everything Pentecostal. And then you got all on that side bound and determined to just annihilate all the reformers. Isn't there some way that we can probably get the best of both and put it all together if we are really in the body of Christ? Yeah. Uh, one of, one's a hand and the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. And the eye can't say to the nose, I, you know, I'd like to smell, but I can't because all I can do is see. Yeah. Well, Paul, Paul talks about these things. Again, there's biblical precedent for uh, wading through these issues. And, and it's just too important in the times that we live. We, we can't be throwing rocks at each other. You know, we need to be fighting the enemy of our souls. Wow. That's a good word. And I, I like that everything you said today, you supported the scripture. It was, it was, um, you know, I, I like that it's doctrinal, theological, scriptural, and, uh, you know, it's, so you didn't, you didn't just throw out an opinion that you know, we won't get, uh, sometimes on our podcast, we get emails like, what, what did this mean? Or what, what did he say about that? You know, it's, you know, it's like you certainly have the support of scripture backing up everything that you said. So I appreciate that about you, Dallas. And, and, well, I, man, I appreciate you taking the time today to be with us. Would you mind uh, just closing us off with a word of prayer? Just praying people would uh, just receive all of God's spirit that he would love to give to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunities you give. And these opportunities are God-ordained. In the realm of your government, nothing ever happens by happenstance. It has been so arranged in your eternal plan that we should spend this time discussing your word discussing your precious Holy Spirit, renewing friendship and relationship, and, and just taking care of business, Lord, for the kingdom of God. So we pray your blessing. We pray your anointing upon everything we've done, Lord. We pray that we've been biblically accurate and accountable. If there's anything that has just been opinion or is of ourselves, Lord, may your spirit uh, tweak that. May your spirit uh, make that heard as it should be heard in proper truth in the ears and eyes of those who hear and see. But we submit ourselves to you and we commit this podcast to you and ask that in all of it, it would be to the glory and honor of the name of Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, can you tell us how we can, uh, you said you're doing every other month, you're sending out a letter. Um, how could, is there any way we could, um, get, how could somebody get a hold of that if they want to start receiving that? Just go to DallasHome.com. That's our website. Okay. Every can download my music we always post our newsletter there are people that like to receive it still in you know through the post office and we still mail out the letters too but just dallashome.com that'll get you started good thanks dallas appreciate it thank you gary bless you brother love you love you too thanks the gary wilkerson podcast is brought to you by world challenge transforming lives through the message and mission of jesus christ each week this podcast reaches thousands of listeners this critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in World Challenge's mission. Thank you for listening and supporting.